Well, hello and welcome to the Pilgrim Path podcast, where we are discussing matters of faith and the Christian life at the intersection of the life of faith and life in the real world. My name is Chris Serber. I'm the senior minister at First Congregational Church of Naples, Florida. I'm also the executive director of Supply and Multiply, which is a ministry in Moe, Haiti, uh, where my family and I once lived, and we began that ongoing and thriving work. So I'm here today with uh, Pastor Ian McDonald, and uh, we are going to have a discussion uh, on some topics sort of ranging from and surrounding the idea of human suffering and the sovereignty of God, let's say uh, the potential purposes of pain, uh, bringing good and godly and beautiful things out of the ashes of the destruction of life, of the difficulty of life. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see how the Lord leads us, and we're going to talk on these and uh, some related ideas. So welcome, Ian. I'm so glad that uh, you could be with me today. It's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, as Chris said, I'm Reverend Ian MacDonald, and I'm the senior pastor for New Church Sherman Oaks. We are a home church internet church hybrid that was started about four years ago. Um, and our, our purpose of really our ministry is to reach those people who weren't or will not step foot into a traditional church building. And so uh, we've been using this ministry to reach uh, a lot of people. And I think what drew us together is sort of that, that idea that a lot of people suffer in many different ways. And so, yeah, um, that's the connection with us today. And it's, it really is an honor to be here to uh, be sitting with you in this. Fantastic. Absolutely. So, you know, what, what, got me thinking to contact you to have this discussion, of course, was uh, I had posted something like a devotional video or something on Facebook, and you would comment, that's what it was, I had posted about Isaiah chapter 41, and verse 10, where the Bible says, fear not, for I'm with you, be not dismayed, for I'm your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I had read in the Christianity Today article, that that passage of scripture was the most most searched Bible verse in 2020. And I think it probably kind of for obvious reasons, people are, were struggling. Uh, many people still are. Uh, they were questioning and they're looking for help in a time of, of difficulty. And for many people and many families, even a time of great tragedy and loss. You know, I love talking about this subject, although it's like the most difficult, painful thing but for reasons somewhat at least connected to some of the purposes of your mission in your church, it's like, it seems like this is almost the question, or if it's not the question, it certainly is, is in a category all by itself with just a handful of others about where is God when it hurts? Uh, how, how do I understand myself in relationship to a, a supposed loving God? And, and yet I'm, I'm surrounded by tragedy and Everywhere I look, I find challenges and great difficulty. Years ago, when I was uh, deciding what was going to be the topic for my Doctor of Ministry project, uh, I was, uh, my, it, it isn't even really completely in keeping with my Doctor of Ministry. I was studying expository preaching, uh, but I had to come up with a Doctor of Ministry project. And so I, I, was, I was wrestling with different ideas about expository preaching, about the uh, you know, all, all kinds of different ideas. And then one weekend, uh, 
I was pastor at First Congregational Church of Peru, Illinois, and I needed to submit the proposal soon. And in one weekend, I officiated, I, I led uh, a funeral service for a baby of a very close friend uh, of a family that my, my family through that time and even before that uh, had become very close to. And to this day, uh, they're, they're really friends like family. And so there was a, a, the death of a baby uh, right at full term. And so we held the memorial service, the, the service for this child on a Saturday morning. Later that same day, I went back to the church, and we had done that at a, a you know, funeral home. I went back to the church, and I officiated the wedding of first cousins of the young woman who had lost this baby. And then the next morning, uh, I was set to do a baby dedication for another family in the church. Okay, Saturday night, you know, I was uh, really beside myself. And in the morning, I had wept with those who were weeping, grieved with those who were grieving, and then had to sort of flip a switch. And that afternoon, try as hard as I could to rejoice with those who were rejoicing. And at the end of that day, I was utterly spent spiritually and emotionally. Uh, early the next morning, after spending the night thinking about it, I said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do my doctor of ministry project on. And it wasn't because I thought I had answers. It was because I needed to see if other people had something of solace that could give me an increased hope and ability to share that hope with others in the context of real pain and trial and suffering. Nothing theoretical was going to cut it for me anymore, you know? And uh, so that, that, that led to what has become a sort of reluctant passion of mine to, to want to go as deeply as possible into this question and search for hope and for meaning and, and really to search for the light emanating from the grace of God uh, to help others and to help myself. Uh, to understand some of these things. So when I saw that you commented about having uh, had cancer and how this passage of scripture had been given to you uh, and had helped you, I really wanted to know uh, what you have to say on this subject. In all of my research, I, I've researched the full breadth of the Christian tradition, and I'm always happy to learn more from people who, who've studied and even more so who've gone through some times where this kind of a, uh, uh, these kind of questions have come out and how you're going to live it out in the real world. Yes. I mean, when I first discovered I had cancer, um, I kind of knew something was already going on. I had, I wish I could remember all the big words, but I had throat cancer. Right. I felt something here going on. This, you know, happened just a few months after my father-in-law passed away from uh, a rare form of leukemia. So we had already been suffering for a while. Um, and in between that time, a dear friend of mine died of liver cancer. And then all of a sudden I've got this and I'm faced with this sort of the big C word, right? It, it's something no one ever wants to hear. And Yet I was feeling very at peace with it for some reason. And I couldn't reconcile that. There was something wrong. I felt like I needed to be more dramatic about it. Right. 
Um, now, a little backstory. I'm in my third year of seminary. Mm. So I've given up a, a career, a 20-year career in advertising. I've given my life over to God to serve him. And I'm in my third year and I discover I have throat cancer. My whole mission was to be a preacher. I was going to preach the word of God. And thankfully I was in seminary and I learned you can preach with your writing, you can preach with your music or your art, you know, to, to minister yeah. a much greater thing. So right there, I found hope, but I needed a, a Bible passage and I actually pulled out, this was the new English Bible that was sitting on my desk. Mm. When I came home and I was just sitting there stewing and I wish it were some great story other than I opened it up and it literally <laughs> opened up right. Isaiah 41. And what really got me was the verse prior, which is, I have taken you up. I have fetched you from the ends of the earth. I've summoned you from the furthest corners. God was calling me and he didn't want me to forget that. And then I read on and it's like, I've called you my servant. I've chosen you and I'm going to be with you. And I'm, I literally am getting chills just mm -hmm. remember. That was eight years ago, like eight years and two weeks ago. So, I mean, it's, we just celebrated an anniversary of that. Mm -hmm. Coming through that, experience there was just a sense of purpose now mm -hmm. so to take all this back what was that purpose and that was the question that was nagging me not what was the purpose of my ministry mm -hmm. i knew i had a calling i knew i was going to do it once my voice was saved um and god sent me a, a surgeon who was uh the recommendation said he was the number two surgeon in the world uh wow. he said was the guy recommended him. No, that guy's the number two surgeon in the world. I knew I had the best going into this. And um, when the surgeon knew, met me and, and learned who I was, he said, look, I'm a practicing Episcopalian and I know how important your voice is, what you're being called to do. I'm going to take care of it. That's awesome. And in a matter of 12 days, I had to reconcile with cancer, get all my tests and then have surgery. But it's still like, what is the suffering part? Where, what is this ache that's inside me? What's drawing me to, to want to be with God? It wasn't, like I said, the ministry, the calling was already there, but there was something else. And that's when I started to explore um, suffering, sorrow, pain as a gift. I started seeing it as something God wanted me to experience simply to help me better understand not myself, but my relationship with God. And that opened the field up to a much greater, bigger deity than I had previously known. Mm -hmm. I realized God is wow, you know, just always left me, just wow. So, yeah. That, that's incredible. You know, it, it's, it strikes me that uh, a, a major rejection of the Christian faith, of the idea of God in general, but certainly of the Christian faith, is often uh, something like, if your God is so good uh, and so loving, then, well, well, I would accept him if there were, if I didn't suffer, if other people didn't suffer. And it's like, okay, 
you, so people are essentially saying, I want a God of love. And it occurs to me what you just said, it's like, okay, so if you embrace the idea that God allows these things to pass in our life, in order that we might know him better, know ourselves better, relate better to others, the pain has a kind of strange humbling effect and, and a multitude of other effects. Uh, and, and so, but I would say, okay, well, if you want a God of love, well, then true love, it, it cannot, it seems to me, exist in a vacuum of at least potential pain. And really, it cannot exist apart from the reality of actual suffering. So it's like if the world were set up such so that none of these things were allowed to occur, well, then, then, then if I, if, then love would, could not possibly be more than sentimentality and barely that. So it's like, I heard you say two things in that, that really strike me. One is that, that uh, it opened you up to a, this, uh, this bigger worldview and bigger view of God. And then secondly, when you said, you know, that, I think that actually is profound in its simplicity. Okay. I wish I, you said something like, I wish I could have, you know, I wish I had this like more grand story of how I came <laughs> to that past, but I just opened it up. And it's like, yeah, that's right. That, that's like exactly right. Because a lot of folks, I think, stop, especially those who are trying to find a reason to reject faith. They stop short of opening it up, of, of taking a look. And with, with a, something like an open mind, uh, examining the potential truths of these things. Uh, I think so that, that to me is more, is, is incredibly profound that you just opened up the Bible. How did your wife deal or, you know, and, uh, your family, I mean, how, how did they deal with it? So like when you open that up and that gave you solace and encouragement and strength, I mean, we're, we're, you know, now again, like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to go too personal and, and speak okay. for her or something, but I mean, what, what were the, well, you know, how did that go? How did that go for as a family? Well, again, like I said, um, my father-in-law just passed away. So she was still, right. she was just starting to see light. Mm. It was just a flicker of light. She and her father are very, I mean, it's a very close family. Like mm. I am with my, with my family and, right. and together as a family. Um, so she had she, you know, she took it very seriously while I was more ethereal or more trying to practice my faith on, on a, I don't know. You know right. Well, and you were a third year student at, at Fuller, right? So you were, you were a budding theologian. And trying to still keep classes intact. Right. You know, I got to do that. And um, so when I also found other passages, of course, in the Bible, but I, the Isaiah 41 was my go-to. And when I opened up the Bible to look at it, I forgot that I'd written little prayers. So I, I bookmarked these passages because I had her read these to me mm. in the hospital. Um, I couldn't speak for days, obviously. I, oh, wow. you know. Yeah. Um, and on this particular one, it just was, Lord God, hold me tightly and never let me go. Mm. Protect and secure me with your never ending love. Mm doesn't mean I'm not going to suffer I mean, right. the physical pain alone, the emotional pain. I was bound to suffer. But what I realized and, and still continue to realize is that suffering is not the end of the story. Right. 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 It's part of the story. And God is the end of the story is God is the beginning of the story. And oh, yeah. So I start realizing when I opened up that my heart 
where I hold all my hurt, where I hurt, hold my fear or my greed or all the millions of other things that we all carry in our heart. God's already there and God's the one holding these things and saying, what don't we need now? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, uh, a year. So I've been in Haiti, um, twice in the last about 14 months. And a year ago I was there, uh, and I, and I essentially did the, the message at my brother, Gary, the a Haitian man who is the director of our you know daily activities in Haiti, who's a brother to me. Uh, I was there to participate in and to preach at his, his wife's funeral. Mm -hmm. She had died, uh, a, you know, last summer and the time I was there before a year before she and I had had this profound conversation. And uh, then I was just back in Haiti a month ago and Gary's remarried. And um, it's, it's a little quick by our standards. Uh, some, some of the women who go to Haiti with us are like, you know, still a little protective over his, over uh, Marie Danielle, his, his first wife's memory. Um, and, uh, but in their culture, it was very culturally appropriate. And uh, so anyway, so, so not a year ago, but the year prior, I was there in Haiti and, and his, his first wife, Marie Danielle, she had been having some health issues, but none of us thought it was what it actually was, was becoming. And uh, she and I were sitting down one morning and uh, I happened to have my Creole Bible with me and she and I were talking and she, she was always so proud of me as my Creole got better and better. And she says, Oh, it's getting, your Creole is getting really good. And, uh, I said, Oh, thank you. And, uh, she used to call me this phrase rot Creole, which is like saying you're the Creole rat, uh, uh, which, which is to say, if a rat lived in your house, he would hear all the language. And if he could speak, he could speak your language. And it was just like a high compliment, even though she's calling me a rat, you know? And, uh, so we sat down and she wanted to help me get my language skills better. She said, I, I need you. And Marie Danielle's the kind of person who's like, you're going to read your Bible more. So she says, I need you to read your Bible more in Creole. So I said, okay, I will. She said, no, you're going to do it right now. So we sat down for like an hour and this woman made me read over and over again, her favorite passage of scripture, Psalm 91. And, uh, you know, I will find shelter under the wings, under the feathers, literally uh, in the Creole Bible, it says of the most high. And, uh, you know, God is, it's a God is my refuge and strength, Psalm 91. And so then now at the end of the passage, it says, and he will grant you with long life. And then I read that scripture over and over again. And then a year later, she died unexpectedly. And instantly my mind was drawn back to Psalm 91. And I'm like, oh my gosh, God, I thought you were, you would grant those who sought safety and shelter under your wings with long life. And I had these, this conflicting, you know, feelings inside of me, these conflicting feelings. And then in prayer one day, I, I felt the Lord sort of leading me in the direction of, well, I have granted her long and eternal life. And the promises of the Bible are much richer than simply that surface level. Oh, if I do good, he'll give me an easy life. That's not it. It's like, if I submit myself to him in the trial, in the pain, in the storm, uh, then I'm going to peel back the layers of greater and greater potentiality of knowledge of God. And like you said, the beginning of the story is God. The end of the story is him. And so along the way, all of these things are allowing me to know him better. And, th and then we find that life is this mixture of sorrow and suffering and joy and pain. I was there a month ago and we used that same Bible to do readings in Haitian Creole from the Bible at this wedding. Mm 
And I have this wonderful picture of, of uh, Gary's son, Danny, Donnie, uh, holding that Bible. And I, and I look at it often and I think, you know, that's, that's the with God life. It's like this, this mixture of, of suffering and sorrow of God, strangely, in many cases, redeeming pain and drawing us closer to himself. And I think that is, it's, that sums up God beautifully. It's, a, it's the relationship we have with our, our creator. It makes us all unique. It, but there will be, I, I, would, I don't want to escape and just gloss over the, right. the one thing you said a little while ago, which is it, every minister has to face, every believer has to um, come to this. And anyone who has an, a friend who is pushing away from uh, organized religion, Christianity, or just a, a theoc, you know, just a, an idea of God in general, if you're an atheist, I mean, I've heard this a million times. If there is a God, why is there suffering in right. the world? And I've learned to simply say, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is God could ask you the same question. Right. Why are you allowing it? And it's in that relationship, it's that we're together. We work together through this. God says, I am here, right? In, in this dark moment, I'm here at this child's funeral. She or he had one beautiful day of life. And in an infinity, that beautiful day is part of infinity now. Right. And, and it, everlasting life. It's and like, yeah, you can yeah. turn around and go to a wedding that night where God is also present. Right. The heart right. will carry a thousand, a thousand sorrows and a thousand joys. You know, I think that was Buddha who said that, but <laughs> right. Jesus also is like, it's, it's about, you have a part in this. Hmm. And, and in the morning you entered that pain and you entered that sorrow. Hmm. And then the evening you entered that joy because you allowed yourself to be present. You allowed God to be present through you. And the next morning you wake up and you're like, how did I do that? <laughs> right. How did I do it again? And then you realize, oh, wait, it's not me who's doing it. Right. It's oh, yeah. I mean, you know, we, we have to uh, make a choice, it seems. I mean, that that's uh, at least kind of present in what you're saying. It's like, we're so we're going to face trial and hardship. It's like um, uh, I, I was reading. Uh, it sounds intelligent to say I was reading Augustine, right? I was reading Augustine recently uh, because I had heard someone on on uh, someone in a sermon cite something from Augustine, and I went digging in around in my Bible software to find it. And I was reading these things from Augustine, who who he made this statement. Uh, maybe it's in the Civitas Day. I think it's in the City of God, and he says something like, um, "We can." keep warring with our creator and refusing to accept reality as it exists, or we can make a decision to participate in his plans and purposes and thereby find a kind of redemption. And it's like, we have to, it seems like we have, we have a choice to make in the face of sorrow and of trial and of tragedy and of difficulty. It's like, will I participate in shaping my suffering? Will I do that? Otherwise, I'm going to be crushed by it. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's um, uh, you know, I think it's John Piper who wrote a book called Don't, Don't Waste Your Cancer. 
And uh, it's like, what? What on earth kind of a thought process is that? But then going through your trial that you went through with specifically with cancer, it's, you know, on the tail end of that, if, if you if you make a choice to shape to to shape it and sort of allow God to shape it is really what you're saying, uh, then then it can manifest meaning in ways that maybe weren't going to be available, almost certainly, without some kind of a pressure like that. Um yeah, it's really, I mean, what do you think about that? Is, is, um, is God shaping our trust then in suffering? Or at least, uh, is that a potential, you know, uh, fruit of pain? I, I say yes now, but there's that caveat because we know that we could get attacked if we say God is testing us. That's right. That's right. But and I'm, not, and I'm not so sure the testing language is very helpful either. You know, it's like. I mean, I, I get it. I get why people say that, but. but there's a refining fire aspect to it, right? Right. And you still need to go through this because we, as humans, carry a lot of garbage. Right. And we're allowed to do that. We're given the freedom. <laughs> right. Right. You want to carry that? God's like, fine. You know, it, it's Romans. Uh, Romans one, right? I think it, it's like the wrath of God is God giving you up to your sin. Go, right. go. Is that what you want to do? But I won't be with, you know, yeah. here's a th I'm here when you want to return. And I think Augustine or Augustine, as you're going to have to learn how to say in Florida. <laughs> That's right. You know, he, he, uh, he, he learned that he walked away. Right. And he had that life early on. Then he realized, wait a second, something's empty. And I now decide to participate with God. And in order to do that, he lost a lot of the baggage that he was carrying. Right. And I think cancer, I'd love to say cancer was this great thing that this great epiphany for me. Right. But I was already in the process of shedding. Right. And at this point, it was shedding fear. Mm. And the fear was not life or death. I was very confident in my faith. Right. Fear was not having a voice, not being heard. Mm. And that led me to a whole other set of baggage that I had to open up and unpack, you know, from ego to humility. Oh, yeah. To, and now to this point, I just last week, my wife was explaining to someone, oh no, Ian has to preach. He has to. He he can't help himself. Right. <laughs> right. So whether no one shows up or not, mm. I'm still preach. Um, because someone I know someone will be hurt. So I've had to strip all my paradigms that I've carried, all the things, you yeah. know, old wineskins, and I'm now sitting in a new wineskin going, here I am, Lord. Um, let's do this. Oh, absolutely. So absolutely. I never would have learned that without suffering first. Right. And so I went through this refining fire. I went through this washing. I went through this cleansing and I'm still, we're both right. Still going through yeah. it each day, but each day that I, one thing gets shed, another thing is open. But what happens every step of the way is that relationship with God just keeps getting bigger mm. 
bigger. And then you start seeing God in virtually everything. Mm. So you open up the Bible. It's not about you play Bible roulette. And <laughs> right. Holy Spirit hit you to say, this is your verse. Mm. You begin to open up the Bible and you see that God is in every single one of those words. And those words apply to you where you are right now. Mm. With an open heart and an open mind, the spirit will guide you there. That, you know, that's got to be, I mean, for a preacher, for someone who is in seminary, third year seminary, you're getting ready. You know, most guys are sketching plans of their church plant or they're looking into their whatever uh, what they're going to do. It's they're the most, you know, exciting time, uh, spiritually and personally. And it's like, you know, for, I I've thought of that a few times over the years when I've, I've had, uh, you know, like a really bad cough or something, and I'm having a hard time talking. It's like, that's my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I, um, and you and, but always, I've always loved your voice. Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I have, I have a great face for radio, right? That's a, uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, so I, I, um, uh, the year we moved to live in Haiti, what you just said, so reminds me so much. I was in Haiti and, uh, we were just getting off the ground. And so what I ended up doing the year we lived there and sort of set everything up, I ended up preaching every Sunday at a different church in town. And that helped us to expand networking in the community and really understand the culture to the extent that, you know, that an outsider can, uh, in a, in a relatively short time. Well, those first few weeks, because I, I wasn't, uh, we hadn't really got that off the ground yet. Uh, I was preaching at a friend's orphanage, my dear, sweet friend, Ann Hume. Uh, I was preaching on Sunday morning. She said, Oh, let's do church. She had a mission team one week of like 20 people. Uh, so we did a little chapel service and it was great, you know, and I just, I, I prepared a message for it. Just like, yeah, I didn't care about the number, the number of the audience. I, uh, you know, and, uh, then one week we did that. And I mean, there was like six people, it was like, uh, two other missionaries and this visiting couple, uh, this woman, uh, who was, who was a doctor and her husband. And I said, okay, fine, Lord, I, I, I this is a, I'm doing what you called me to do. So I got up and, uh, I delivered this message and this guy from North Dakota, he says to me, I did not expect to find a preacher of your caliber preaching to no one in Haiti. And I said, you know, it was like a compliment. And I was like, yeah, I'm preaching to no one, uh, you know, but, but, it, but, it, but it exactly is what you were just saying. It's like, no, I, that was my calling. That's my calling. I'm going to do it. And whether there's a room full of two or 2000, I'm going to do that. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you can't come to the, you know, it's like, there's a kind of humility that is, there's so many fake versions of humility. And, and it, see, it occurs to me that the, you know, the more I zero in in the direction of authentic community, which has always been of, of a humility, which has always been this Marine's challenge, uh, it's like the more I head in that direction, it seems to me to be requisite that the only way to get there is to suffer a few challenges and hardships. Uh, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, I, I did some boxing. And I lost most of my first several fights and it made me want to win. It, it gave me a, a passion for training. And it's like, you know, I learned more from those losses than I ever would if I had just been naturally gifted and, and just walked through opponents. And it's like in the spiritual battles of life, you know, it's, it occurs to me at least somewhat similarly, uh, if we don't suffer some defeats and go through some hardships and some challenges, 
you know, nobody wants it. Nobody wills it upon themselves. Uh, but if we don't do that, then we're not going to find that, you know, that many of the greatest saints of God, the, the, you know, brother Lawrence, uh, uh, St. John de la Cruz, the uh, John of the cross or brother Lawrence, uh, um, you know, who's famous, what is that? His classic book, um, the imitation of Christ. It's like, these are people, especially him, brother Lawrence in his day, unknown, and but just drew close to God in intimacy. He wasn't even a monk. He was like a servant to a bunch of monks. And and, uh, and then his his real and authentic interaction with God later has become an example. But in his lifetime, it, all he had was that deep and authentic relationship with God. And that was enough. Francis said the same thing. And it wasn't just God with, you know, having a relationship oh. with God through people. Right. In nature as well, you know. Um, Paul writes again. I don't know why I keep going back to Romans one. You think I, <laughs> but right? You you look out in the world and you have no excuse not to see God. Um, I'm right in the process of creating. Um, I don't want to say a new church, but a new kind of communion, and it's called Anamesa Communion. And the Anamesa Communion. Is about meeting God in that space between. You know, Anamesa in Greek is between or in between. It's it's an adverb, mm. so it's an action of moving forward into a space, mm. um, not so much like liminal space where you stand in the doorway waiting for the next thing to happen. You're taking action by entering into that space between, mm. and the and the part, the piece of that is is that's where God meets us. So the space between you and me. Versus uh, the space between heaven and earth, the space between us and them, the space between my head and my heart, that space, no matter where it is, to realize and recognize that God is present. Mm. And I learned that idea from so many um, people like Lawrence mm. and St. John of the Cross and... Uh, I mean, yeah, and Francis and, and numerous yeah. others for us um, who were able to see with with holy eyes, see the sacred in their presence. Mm. And when we can do that for one another, when I can look at you and see the divine in you and you can see the divine in me, then in our suffering, we see the divine just as we are grateful and thankful when something beautiful and amazing happens in our life, we see God there and we praise and thank God for it. Mm. The trick is now we're in our pain, we're in our suffering, we're in our struggle. Because any inventor will tell you, you know, it's in the failure that you find success. Right. You know, you watch the, uh, I was just watching the Olympics and this is the first year we're uh, skateboarding is in <laughs> right kids have to pull off these these feats right and they're wiping out they're 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 hitting concrete really really hard and they 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 sort of scratch the side of their body you see band-aids and blood and all sorts oh of my things gosh, yeah and they don't they shrug it off because they know they've been there before they know that you have to fall in order to learn how to walk you have to take off a few times and hit a few things before you realize. And again, I think that's just the ego saying, I need to let go of what I think I can do mm. and give it only what God can do through me. 
Oh, that, that sounds fascinating. I'd like to know more about that. That, that sounds to me like something. Uh, okay. So in, in what, ha- what it often amounts to, it seems in a lot of uh, Christian circles today, it's like, you know, we've, we, we tend to be as, as dichotomous, as polarized as the culture sometimes. And it's like, oh, it has to be this way or that. And it has to be exactly this way or that. And what, what amounts to, let's say, practical spirituality for a lot of believers today, I think, is just towing the line on a kind of doctrinal rigidity where they become something more like the doctrine police, let's say. And it's like, okay, that's good. I mean, you got, okay, you, you love the word of God. You're deeply invested. Fabulous. Or somebody else clings just to a, a, you know, a handful of scriptures. It's like, oh, you're super compassionate. Fabulous. But it occurs to me that the the space in between you're talking about could be a kind of rescue out of what seems to me to be oftentimes a kind of staleness in in our practice of what should be the with God life uh, and almost like a modern day mysticism rooted, you know, deeply in the word of God. That's interesting. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, that's fascinating. How how do you do how, how So when you're going to develop that, is that do you tend to do some writing on that or, you know, put it out online? Or I mean, how, how do you intend to do it practically? So what's interesting, and it's a little bit of a long winded story, but I'll short. No, oh, go ahead. Yeah. A few, I'd say a couple of months ago, I had this word pop into my head and I had no idea what the word was. But it was a word. And when I hear things like that, because I'm now tuned in a little bit more, I guess, I took it to heart, but I had no idea what it meant. And then about three weeks after that, something triggered in me that just said, what is, what's the Greek word for between? Hmm. So I went to, you know, actually I Googled it. I I, I would have loved to say I went to, (laughs) (laughs) and I Googled like on a Mesa. That's exactly what I was talking about. Mm. And Anna, I think in Latin is, you know, story. Mm. Um, Mesa, of course, is this plateau, this space between, like, say, you know, the, the, the ground and the, the peak of the mountain. Um, there's a lot to it. And I was like, That's really interesting. Then I went back to my, I was going to blog something. And I realized for the last 11 years, this is exactly what my blog has been leaning towards. Um, for those of you who are watching, my blog is jesusnotjesus.org. Um, the idea is when we can see God in our midst, when we can see Christ in one another, then we will uh, hopefully live and act accordingly. You know, it, so the quest is finding Christ in our midst. Um, and I realized it was it was this it was me and them. And I'm trying to get that action of diving into that space between. And all of a sudden it came together. So to answer your question, I'm hoping yeah. to do some writing on it in a much grander scale. Yeah. Um, we're going to begin to practice by, we have other online churches that are coming together. Um, and how do we build content and um, communicate this platform of, you know, creating bridges instead of building oh, yeah. walls. Oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's like, uh, it, it makes me think of uh, something I tell mission team members a lot when we take people to Haiti. Uh, and then I and then I express it, I express it sometimes in the churches too, although it's not always as obvious uh, to, you know, how to or when to. When, when you go to a place like Haiti, uh, you realize real quick, 
that if you're going to try to, okay, like if you prepared your philosophy of missions, you know, and you're a missiologist and you're going to do this is exactly how you're going to do it. And then you land in the muck of reality. And then that space in between is very, very good way of describing it where it's like, okay, I can't always do things exactly how I planned, but what I can do is let God lead me into authentic relationship with people. And then, you know, it's a dance, not a science. Nobody, the the science of relationship, uh, you know, you couldn't easily quantify it in a laboratory. It's like uh, that space in between life in the muck. And then now right, right back to where we started, Uh, you know, grieving with those who grieve, mourning with those who mourn. Uh, rejoicing with those who rejoice, celebrating with those who celebrate, and then doing this thing that I think is 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 only describable as something like life on life, as I always said it. But it's the exact same idea, the space in between, uh, in between my uh, perfect plan and conception uh, and reality. And it's like, yeah, that's beautiful. I, I really hope that goes well. I'll pay attention to to follow it. In fact. Um, I tell you what, uh, we're getting pretty close to maybe a, maybe a, a natural time, uh, to, to, to wrap this conversation up. There's so many things I I'd look forward to talking to you again and learning more. And I'm going to start following your blog. I think I've seen some of these posts, uh, before maybe on social media. And, uh, so I just bookmarked it. I'm going to go out of my way to, to, to pay attention to that. How did you come up with the title? Jesus, not Jesus. Um, I have no idea. It's been so long. I was coming out of advertising, you know, okay. uh, but the idea is when we can see Christ in Jesus, then Jesus isn't our enemy. Okay, that's awesome. Okay. But that's Omaha yeah. Or Jolie right. or anyone, you know, they become, yeah. they become our brothers and sisters because we are all made in the image of God and oh, we absolutely. all, of God. And so you start respecting them with the hopes that they will in turn respect you. Oh, for sure. I love it. That's uh, that's fantastic. The, the, an understanding of the Imago Dei of the image of God, uh, some years ago when I was in seminary, uh, really transformed, uh, it really opened up, let's say a whole new avenues of thought process when it comes to, uh, like say for evangelistic work. Well, why do I, would I, why would I care to try to lead someone else into an encounter with Jesus? Oh, because they were worth him dying on the cross for too, because they bear the image of God. Uh, it's like, you know, why, why would I uh, want to show compassion to somebody? Oh, because we're both just, you know, in the same boat. We're created by, uh, 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 by our, our creator in his image. And both of us are equally, uh, let's say, uh, marred by sin and pain and so on, and in need of His grace. Um, I tell you what, I, let's let's um, okay. If we could, could could close with this, I just I want to share this this quote that I found, and then if you have any other thoughts that you'd like to add uh, before we before we wrap it up, this is a quote by one of my favorite theologians, George Eldon Ladd. This is in his Theology of the New Testament. It says this: It church is more than a fellowship in common religion. He says, it is an eschatological creation of the Holy Spirit, right? So it's that it's a, uh, of course, you and I understand eschatological. So it's a, uh, it's a creation of the Holy Spirit, which has an end in mind, the eschatos, it has an end in mind, the consummation of this broken world, ushering into uh, eternity. This relationship exists between people because they share a common relationship to Christ. And he cites 1 Corinthians 1.9. Uh, a bond exists between all who are in Christ 
that is unique and transcends all other human relationships. It strikes me that in our pain and in our trial, and as is evidenced right here with you and I, talking about your cancer, human suffering, some of the potentiality of redemptive purposes, uh, or at least the things that God brings out of it when we make a decision to participate with him and not to war against him in, in these difficulties, uh, that it, it brings about what I would suggest is the most beautiful aspect of the Christian life, which is covenant community. Uh, you know, recently a woman came to the church and um, here in Naples, and she just showed up off the street. God's been doing this lately, uh, strangely. Uh, and she showed up off the street and she had suffered so much tragedy and she just didn't know where else to turn. And she saw this church, she pulled in the parking lot, she came in and she and I just began to weep together as she told me her story. Her husband had died only 18 months ago of cancer. Uh, she had a son who took his own life. Uh, six months later, he was so close to his father. And then uh, the day she showed up, her, her, one of her other children, her daughter, had just died inexplicably. They just found her. She was completely beside herself. And she came in and, you know, uh, on my wall is a doctor of ministry uh, whereby, you know, the project was about pain and suffering and God's solace and comfort. And all of those doctoral studies and all of the biggest phrases and most, let's say, deeply philosophical ponderings I could muster were completely meaningless in that moment. I just wept with her. And I told her, uh, I, I do this once in a while, but not very often. I said, I better see you in church this Sunday. I better see you. You cannot carry this burden alone. This is too much. No one can carry this alone. And I want to help you. And I said, you know, you call me day or night, you come see me, whatever. You do not carry this burden alone. And, um, you know, very, I, I, you don't normally get people to come to church that way, uh, but she did. And, uh, you know, uh, and she's been here ever since. And, and we're going through this pain together. And it strikes me that if there is a, a high meaning in all of this, that uh, among them and maybe chief among them or, or at least sort of foundationally is God calls us into covenant community to care for one another. If, if, if we have anything to offer the world, surely it is our love and compassion as dictated and mandated by uh, the master of mercy, Jesus Christ. Through us, he reflects his grace and mercy in the world. And so I'm thanking God for you right now. I'm, I'm enjoying getting to know you and hear more about uh, these things and your perspective and your thoughts. And uh, wow, I mean, this is really, really, um, I appreciate you having taken the time to have this conversation with me. And now we're in deeper community. Uh, and it began with a, with, with a Facebook post, uh, uh, you know, and um, uh, your, your story. So if you have, do you have anything else you want to share? I, 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 otherwise, you know, we'll move it towards a conclusion. If you have any other thoughts, though, I'd love to hear. I think basically what Christ said is, how blessed are you who, you know, have a clean and righteous heart where you will see God. And I think when we let our hearts be open to receive God in that way, we become blessed. And um, even though we already are, in my opinion, blessed, we come to understand it. And in order to understand it, we share it. We can't help but share it the more we understand it. So it's my great heart um, 
says thank you for allowing me just to share my story, to uh, speak, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, what is in my heart, um, to profess my faith in a way that, that um, is pushed and challenged by a great mind like you. Oh. I know. Don't, yeah. don't, don't be fake humble. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, hey, well, thanks. Thanks so much. God bless you today. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again sometime, brother. All right, Chris. Thank you very much. Yep. Amen. Thank you.